All my stuff. All right, the very handsome. Uh, it's too late now. And he's a funny. Well, thanks, Bill. He's a funny hey. mofo too, man. Hey, happy Thursday. Happy We're here Thursday. Again. You know, we would hope so many people are watching us rather than gearing up to watch the debate. I mean, I don't know how, how we can do that debate when it's stacked against them. They're gonna mute them. Yeah, we'll see what happens. You know, we'll see, man. You never know with this guy. You don't know. So, uh, tell tell us about our guest. Anyway, George Menick, What I know him from is a squad commander in the three three squad, which was the squad that was developed after they broke the three four up into two pieces, right? What years, George? What years were you up in the uh, three three? Uh, I got there in '98, and then I left. You know, I retired in 2001. You got out just in time for uh, before 9/11, right? Uh, actually, I was on terminal leave. So, did you cut? You came back? Yeah, just as a volunteer. I uh, it looked like too much of a headache to try and come off terminal leave. Oh, to come back? Yeah, and I retired for a reason. I wasn't going back. Why you get you get burnt out or you you've been chased off the job? <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't chased off that job. Oh, okay. No, uh, no, you just you know when you make a decision to go, you're just gonna go. So I decided to stick by that situation. So I just went back as a volunteer for a few yeah, months. Yeah, you could have gave me like a million dollars. I would have probably still left. Yeah. I wanted to. I wanted to. I wanted to move on. I wanted to get to the next phase. I was happy I did it. I had a lot of fun, but it was time to move on. That was one yeah. of those, that's one of those police department adages is that you'll know when it's time to go. Right? Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. When you get the Tuesday notification that Comstat is coming, you want to go. <laughs> yeah. I remember the 2-8 the squad commander, Brian, I forget his last name. He was at a borough Comstat meeting. I mean, they grilled the shit out of him and he didn't know any of the fucking answers. And the, the, uh, the inspector says to him, what's, what's going on? He goes, I'm retiring tomorrow. And the guy didn't know what to do, you know? What was he going to say to him? He goes, today's my last day. <laughs> he should have just skipped the meeting, you know? Hey, George, uh, did you ever have a bad comp stat? Every comp stat I had was bad. <laughs> you know, what? what uh, I didn't get called on a lot. For some reason, the 3-3 wasn't up. Uh, I think I only got up maybe once, twice for a real comp stat, but I was a transit squad commander prior to that. And I went to a few comp stats and they were all bad. Transit, did they actually beat up transit? Uh, <laughs> it was brutal. Really? Yeah. Who, who, uh, were the, who was the Grand Inquisitor, Maple? Uh, no. Uh, you know, I don't even remember who it was, but... When I first started going, it was Adamone and Maple. And then uh, I forget what it switched to when Maple left. Norris. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Norris. Eddie, Eddie Norris. Yeah. Now he's now he's a radio talk show host. He did all right. Yeah, he, he's like you. Yeah, he was he was on The Wire and shit. And he actually did a little bit. He did about six months in federal prison, I think. Yeah, yeah, I remember that for his Baltimore gig. Yeah, he had some shit with the FBI. You know, when the yeah. FBI goes after you, man, they, they're unforgiving, right? Yeah. But, you know, Jerry Kane was with me in the transit squad. You know Jerry, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's actually, uh, he, he does a, a podcast on this yeah. Inside Blue thing we do. Yeah, good, really good guy, Jerry. So you yeah, must, I tell you, must I have, have done, I, you guys must have done a little bit of drinking then. 
just a tad. <laughs> you know what? The best thing about having the uh, Manhattan Transit Squad is you have the entire island of Manhattan. So you weren't restricted to just one place. Well, transit's a nasty job. Nasty. Oh, it sucked. Right? I was only there for nine months. But all you have really is uh, you know, robberies and grand larcenies. Right. They're all B-15s. Nobody can ID. Uh, every now and then they got a good case and there were some good guys working there. And uh, so when they, when they were good guys working and they caught a case, it, it became a little interesting, but it was the same thing all the time. Yeah. Well, Mark, who's the guy, the transit cop who was a cop? The resta. John. Yeah. The resta. And he said, while well, you ride, we hide. <laughs> right? <laughs> that was his big line. I thought that was funny. He but said, you know he, he had another group. I started off as a transit cop, so I didn't want to end as a transit cop. Right. So. But you were in corrections for one year, right? Yeah, like six months. Oh, shit. That's a nasty job, too. Oh, yeah. I was 19 years old when I was doing that. Did they get mad at you for leaving? Uh, no. They, and this was state corrections. Oh, I, don't think they, I don't think that they can. What prison were you at? It was a place called Downstate. It's up to Fishkill. It's oh, across. Fishkill. It's across, yeah. it's across 84 from Fishkill. Yeah, I think I know that place. You go I've up heard there, of it. You see that big thing up on the hill with all the barbed wire and shit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've heard of it before. I've heard of Downstate. Well, that's not the one that they. No, that was a uh, Ramora or Ramora. Danamora. Danamora. That's way up on the. That's Canadian where the guys North. escaped from, and Cuomo was like reviling on how unbelievable. What a fucking asshole. How are you praising two guys? You don't even know the results of the investigation. And that jackass is praising them. And it turned out some ugly bitch helped them escape, right? Yeah. Exactly. And he's there praising them. He doesn't without knowing the result of the investigation. You know what also was amazing about that case? A state trooper shot and killed one of the guys. And it was like not in within department guidelines, but no one gave a fuck. No, no. I remember when they were up there uh, terrorizing yeah. the upstate when they were on the loose. I remember yeah. paying attention to it. Well, they hid in some cabin or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then, I don't know, what, did one of them get shot and killed? And the yeah, other one, one of them got shot and killed by a state trooper, but it wasn't like he had a gun or anything. Run- the guy just saw him and shot him, you know? Yeah, he was running across a field. It was like, a, it was like deer hunting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The movie was good. You know, I was, I was, I went down to be uh, this guy's body double, Benicio del Toro, for that movie, and uh, they took pictures of me. I have the pictures. I showed them to you probably already, Bill. I'm in the same uniform as him. The only problem that happened was I had cut my hair too short at the sides at the time. It was this length on top, but I had shaved it for something, and I fucked up. But they took pictures of my hands. They took pictures from the back because you know he was on a sewing machine. So um, I thought for sure I had it, and then uh, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't get it. Like you a lot of other. Lot, you must be a lot bigger than that guy, though, right? Yeah, but it wasn't a lot of. St- uh, well, no, actually, he's like six two. Is he? Yeah. He's a good actor. He's a very good actor. I mean, most of the stuff. I, I'll, I'll. You know what? We could add the pictures to uh, when we went, when we add when we upload this since we talked about it. <laughs> you know. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, and then you worked in um, Midtown North. You, what, you, you must have been juiced by then. Yeah, you know what? It, uh, 
That's the land of milk and honey. That must be where you met Jerry Kane. <laughs> oh, actually, I didn't meet him there. When 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 I left Corrections, I went to transit. I was in transit for, I think, like a year and a half, a year and nine months. And uh, then I rolled over in 83. And I had a neighbor up the block, and he was, uh, I think, a retired captain. And he, you know, he asked me where I wanted to go. And I said, well, I didn't know anything about the NYPD, really. Yeah. I, you know, I worked in Midtown as a transit cop. I just want to go back there. So he goes, oh, that'll be NSU 3. And then when uh, the NSU time is coming up, he's like, uh, so where do you want to go? He, and I was driving him to the airport to go somewhere. And, you know, this is before cell phones and stuff. Did you have your hand under his undercarriage or? Yes, yes. I, 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 <laughs> was, there a, was there a heated alcohol prep pan in your hand underneath his undercarriage? Yeah, afterwards, I needed it. <laughs> but uh, so he, I'm dropping him at the airport and he says, oh, I'll make the call. You're either going to go to this, uh, the 17th, the south or the north. So I said, well, I don't. Three horrible choices, right? Yeah, but the thing is, I become a real dick about it. I go, look, I go. When I was in NSU in the 17th, they have a lot of those boxes. I don't want to be a cop in a box. I don't blame you, man. And then he, and my cousin with the same last name was working in Midtown South. So I said, I don't want to go to the South either. So he goes, well, I guess it'll be Midtown North. So Not you, wound, you wound up in the, the house with the bit, you need the biggest hook to get in in Manhattan South. Well, at, at the time when uh, I came in, the day that they cut the orders and there was uh, a lieutenant there, this guy McDonald, who was aces. Uh, used to ask, he, he got promoted from sergeant to lieutenant and stayed in NSU 3. Wow. And uh, so he's, uh, he would ask me who my hook was. He wanted to know who everybody's hook was. Yeah. I just told him, I said, I don't have a hook. I just got sent to NSU 3. So the day that they cut the orders where we were going, I came walking in there. He goes, oh, you're going to the 8-8. So I said, oh, okay. And I went upstairs to get dressed. I didn't, I didn't know. Yeah. They come and he goes, I was only bullshitting you. You're staying in Midtown North. <laughs> and, uh, you know. How many, how many pounds did you put on there in the first year? Uh, probably 70 or 80. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was it was a phenomenal place to work. Oh. But yeah. although it's all the boss's kids, though, too, right? Yeah, you know, when I was there, and, you know, when you're young, when you're in your early 20s, you really don't realize that that whole structure and those bosses. But, uh, Gavin Jones, I don't know if you remember him. His father was the chief of OCCB. Uh, Nicastro, his father was the chief of detectives. Oh, they were all in Midtown North. And all good guys, too. Yeah. So. No, because I had a friend that was on the desk there, and uh, he would get a call when there was no excusals. This is Chief So-and-so. Give my daughter Susie off tomorrow, you know? Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Like, oh, fuck, you know, I didn't have a father call the desk because he's a chief to get you off <laughs> doing no excuses, you know? Yeah. Well, I didn't have my hook make any calls like that for me. But. <laughs> That's because you were you you were like a contract guy. You went out there and discovered where the good places were. And then you knew how to yeah. move the desk, right? Yeah, and I, I'll still know, I still won't tell you where those places are. <laughs> I remember being in a third wheel in a car one night. And uh, the two guys, they go, they turn around, they go, um, I was in the task force, in Queens task force. And they go, well, where do you, you where do you want to eat? So I was like, uh, I picked a place and they brought me there. I got my food. And then we put, went to another part in Jackson Heights and they parked the car and they says, okay, we'll be back in a little while. 
and they went and they go to another restaurant down the block and they ate and they came back <laughs> just, so I wouldn't, just so I wouldn't see where it was. <laughs> well, how empty some of that stuff was. Oh, this is in our sector. They gave us a free cheeseburger. Big deal. I mean, come on. Yeah, they Why hated us. They hated us because we were the task force. So you had the 110 and the 115 right there. Then you had the 108. And then uh, and then now in the middle of all this, you got the task force. And we're hitting this, we're all hitting the same spots. You can get picky there too, because I used to go to one place for rice and beans. I go to another place because I like their chicken. We used to get fresh bread from the bakery. Um, bag a bag of cookies, just hot. You could smell that bakery in the 110. It was oh, every night it was beautiful. Stop there, get two or three uh, loaves of bread. <laughs> Fresh bread. Yeah, the, you know, the North had some places like that, too. And, and guys that had steady sectors, if they saw your car, and I was really never in a sector there. Every now and then I would be put in one. But uh, if they saw a sector car that didn't belong there, <laughs> uh, man, it, it could come to blows or tire slashing. Uh -huh. it, got, it got a little vicious at times. Wow. How about the theater district? That was out of the north, right? The yeah. theater detail, I meant. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's was that was that like you needed a rabbi to get in the theater uh, detail? Yeah, I think so. I, one of my old partners worked in there, and he uh, he had a good time there. But, well, that's when you're getting calls from chiefs and government officials. Could you get me tickets to so and so? Right. Yeah, go to the tickets booth. Yeah, that's what you. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you were so popular. Yeah, still am, Bill. <laughs> now, in 1985, you got picked up by OCCB to be an undercover, right? Yeah. You got to have some good stories for us now. We're just going to go to sleep and have you tell us some good stories. We, you know, when I put in for that program, it was still a 30-day program. And when I got picked up, it was 90 days. So I go down to, you know, you go down there and they tell you, you, you know, you're a temporary, you're going to do a 90-day gig somewhere. So they sent me to, uh, it was called SEU at the time, the street enforcement unit. And it worked out of the, the two, three. And I remember going there, brand new guy and go upstairs and, you know, I, whoever I see, I see, and I get told to go wait up in the lounge and I'm sitting up there and this, uh, this, the, this guy comes up. I didn't know who the hell he was. He was like six, two, six, three Spanish guy, Davy Galapena. He looks over and he goes, you're the new undercover? Man, white boy, you're gonna have some problems up here. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, oh, I'm fucked. Yeah. And uh, I tell you, this guy took me under his wing. He did certain things uh, to show me how to do stuff. But I bought every drug imaginable up there. What, was your, what was your act? And really nothing, just, you know, a white kid. Uh, you know, sometimes you put some construction type stuff on, you know, shoes or whatever. But, uh, you know, you really didn't have to do too much to, to buy drugs. You know, there were a couple of times where you wouldn't, they wouldn't acknowledge you. Uh, yeah. There was one time where I guess, and, you know, I could see it today, but back then I didn't even realize it. There was a precinct CO that had a narcotics problem. It was right on the borderline of, I don't know, the, four, the 145, is that between the 3-0 and the 3-2? I, I don't know. The yeah. Well, the three. Well, it's the three O is is much further west, though. Yeah, so you have that park in between. Yeah, I don't remember what the what the border was, but there's one precinct CO wanted a buy made, and I think it was one four five Street, and uh, 
So they said, you know, this is right on the border. So you got to make sure you make the buy on this side of one, four, five. And so I go up to some guy, you know, you sit in the car, you by yourself for the most part, you have a ghost, but you know, you drive in your own car, you park, you. George, tell our, tell our uh, audience what a ghost is. Oh, the, the ghost is somebody that keeps an eye on the, uh, the undercover. Because the and, undercover could get the shit beat out of them or robbed or right. Yeah. So the, ghost, and, the ghost will come to your assistance. Yeah. And a lot of times, well, a team at the time that I worked in had two uh, undercovers. So you would switch roles. If this guy was buying, you would ghost. And if this guy was, you know, if you were buying, the guy would ghost you. Right. So, uh, but you know, you'd pull up on these sets and you'd kind of eyeball things. So when you got out of the car, you knew what you were doing. So I went over to a guy on, uh, he was on the wrong side of the street and I was wearing a cap. Would you cross the street? Cause I gotta get to the right precinct. Yeah. What happens? So I go up to the guy and uh, uh, first the team, you know, the, there was a, a lieutenant and a sergeant that came out on this. I guess for whatever reason, it was some, some big deal that a buy needed to be made. And it's a bullshit buy. I'm buying pot, I think, maybe Coke. I don't even remember what it was. And they said, make sure you go on this side of the street. So I'm watching the street and I say, look, I see a guy on the, the north side of 145. So they go, no, 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 you can't go over there. You got to go on the other side. I said, oh, don't worry about it. So I get out of the car. I go up to the guy. I walk up to him. I said, hey, whatever the lingo was, you know, give me a bag, give me this. And he goes, oh, I ain't selling to you. So I go, why don't you go fuck yourself? I said, I'll go over there and buy it. And uh, so we, the guy goes, no, no, no. Okay, okay. I go, but we got to go on that side of the street. So he goes, why that side of the street? I said, I'm superstitious. I don't do things on north sides of streets. I got to go <laughs> outside. And so we went over there. And I and when you would start your, uh, you know, to get with the team would get ready. They pre-record the buy money. Uh, they'd give you an envelope with the money in it, a little Manila envelope. It had the OCCB number written on it, a sixty-one number. Uh, it was all in an envelope, just you know, so the investigator would hand it to the undercover. It just kept things neat and tidy. Right. And would have to write a report afterwards. So he had all this information. So we get on the other side of the street, and I take out the envelope. He goes, the "Guys, look at me." He goes, "What the fuck is that?" I said, "It's my buy-up envelope." He goes, "What's a buy-up?" I go, "Every time I buy drugs, I call it an operation. So I'm buying some drugs." <laughs> and the guy looks. And he goes, "Well, what are those numbers on it?" Oh, I'm superstitious. These are numbers that I need to know. And I take the I take the buy money out of this envelope. I give it to the guy. You know, I get back to the car. He's still sitting there. I call the field team in, and uh, they just went and hooked the guy up. So it, you know, you dealt with some really stupid people. So to have that, <laughs> what was your really most? Do. What was your most? Did you have to buy inside at all? Uh, yeah, there was a couple of locations that I went to up in because SCU worked all over the city. What, what was your scariest buy? Uh, there was a buy that I went to make in the 2-8 and you know Pete Panuccio, right? Yeah. So Pete and I, I talked, talked about, to him on the phone a little while ago. Yeah. And he was in SEU at the same time I was there. So there was a go-to place. They call it the Monster House. It was in the 2-8. So I go to this location and uh, uh, they just wanted to get on. They didn't care what it was, but the Monster House was disgusting. So I go in there and I hook up with a guy and I'm wearing a Kell again. I'm, and when you're wearing a Kell, you're kind of talking to the field team as you're walking up. All right, I'm approaching the set. Right, now. Right. 
Uh, these are, this is a description of the guys I see on the set, just in case anything happens. But the kel cuts in and out, though, right? Yeah, well, this is what happens on this one. So I end up hooking up with some guy. The guy says, oh, I can't give it to you here. We got to go somewhere else. So I take him to my car, and we drive down to the 2-4. <laughs> and I go into a location inside to buy. Uh, I come out and I'm telling the field team, you know, as we're talking, the guy's saying, I'll make a left up here. I go, what on, uh, I don't know, what's Amsterdam or Columbus? I forget which goes southbound. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, there's some given kind of locations. Where are we stopping? Up there? He goes, yeah, 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 up there. I go, oh, at 97th Street. So he's like, yeah, I'm thinking the field team is hearing this whole thing. Yeah. I get back. I let the guy out of the car. Uh, uh, now I get the radio from underneath the seat of the car and I'm calling the field team. They're in a panic because they couldn't raise me. They didn't know where I was. And I was gone for like 45 minutes. So I'm thinking to myself, nobody even knows where I am during this whole thing. You they were basically just buying drugs. Yeah. <laughs> just buying drugs. They That's thought you were in a gym mill drinking a few cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> you you should have been able to keep those drugs. Yeah, but they go in to lock the guy up and they go downstairs. He happened to be a maintenance guy there and he's shooting up in his dick downstairs. Yes. I mean, everything in the monster house was disgusting. They, you know, exposed veins and just creatures. Well, remember, remember the 2-8 and when I first came on in 1985 and the 2-8 was like they had the people with the elephantitis legs. You know, the legs that blew up from injecting it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. It was like horrendous, right? Yeah. Just uh, they were always in a wheelchair, selling out of a wheelchair. And if you make a buy and somebody's in a wheelchair, the field team really gets pissed. Yeah, because now they yeah. got to take the wheelchair, this handicapped guy, he wants to go to the hospital, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a big pain in the ass, really. It's not even worth yeah, it. Yeah, the whole thing sucked. It's not worth it. No. I remember one guy got a, he got a guy in a warrant and he, he only had one arm, so he cuffed his other arm to his belt. <laughs> to his belt. I, I, that's been... Everyone's had that one day, one time in their career. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the guy, I don't want to use the joke again. It's like the guy that killed the guy with the fucking one leg on 80, on 84th Street, the 2 old. Remember Captain Rowe? It was Kenny Rowe. His brother was the uh, John Rowe in the 2-6 squad. Kenny Rowe was real serious. He comes to the scene and he says to me, he goes, what's going on? He goes, what are they saying about the guy? And I, I said, they're saying he doesn't have a leg to stand on. And he got <laughs> fucking pissed. He didn't think it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> so that was your most dangerous thing, man. I, I was thinking there was gonna be some rooftops, some jumping over the roof and fire escapes. No, you know, I went into some apartments and they had guns on the table. I never got a gun put to my head or anything like yeah. that. And you know what? At the time I was in my twilight. You think you're invincible. None of that stuff even phased me at that time. You know, I remember when I was in Warrens, just going, me and my partner, because we didn't want to work with anybody else, just going into apartments and running four or five people's names, having them all sit down, getting them out all over, going to the living room, sit down right there, having everybody empty out their pockets, two guys handling five or six people. I remember one guy, before we got in the apartment, he must have went out through the window because he thought we were gone. Because, but we were still running names, and all of a sudden, I see this guy crawling back in. He's ready to come <laughs> back to the party. <laughs> he sees us, he gets shocked. I'm like, nah, you can come back in, sit over there. But, Mark, you know why two guys could, could handle five guys back then? Because they had respect. 
they knew if they did anything wrong, you'd smack the shit out of them. Today, you know, they're not afraid to take on the popo, you know? Yeah. Well, you you got to listen. There's also times where, you know, we had two brothers one time, and I, to, to this, one guy was hiding in the couch. But you know, when you bend the, the, the top part over that couch, it was a bed. He was yeah. in there. And we were sniffing around, sniffing around. You could see the other brother getting ready. And uh, I didn't know what he had in there. I just told, listen, we'll, we'll get him out tomorrow in the street. Uh, we, I had a feeling he was in there, but we, who, he could have been in there with a gun, whatever. Yeah. And forget it. I was like, we'll just wait from outside. And we caught him like two hours later outside. He thought we left. We just parked across the street and waited for him to come out. <laughs> you know? You can always get him on another day, right? Yeah. Well, we got him in two hours. You know? Um, it's it's better off sometimes, you know? And then sometimes we had people behind the door. We, we weren't sure either. I remember one time we took the door. It was a cat inside. That was pretty embarrassing because you got to call ESU. <laughs> First of all, you got to call your sergeant. The sergeant's got to call the... Uh, who's ever covering the borough. Then they call ESU. This is a lot of phone calls while you're waiting. Are you sure? Are you 100% sure? Yeah, we heard him. My partner came looking at me. I was like, I didn't hear nothing. I didn't hear nothing. <laughs> well, we had, we had uh, a couple. Well, George, you were in ESU, man. You, we, they used to use those flashbangs. Then there was the woman, Alberta Spool. I still remember her name. Two yeah. five snoo. Yeah. And uh, Tommy, uh, Tommy Pertel was the CEO of ESU at the time. And I think he got bounced over that. Well, I'll tell you, it wasn't ESU's fault. It was the fault of the investigation done by the guys that got the warrant. They, yeah. the, the, the CI they used was a half a retard, and he, yeah. he, he picked the wrong door because we did the reinvestigation after they fucked it up. We brought the CI up there, and he couldn't remember which door it was. That's not a guy you want to swear, you know? No. Uh, he was doing one of no, no, that that's not the door you hit. You hit this door of this eighty-year-old woman who died of a heart attack from the flashbang. You know that. It was bad. They used to use the jaws of life to open the door. That was pretty cool. It comes down to like a little thing, little point, and they just point it right in the door. Dick, 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 boom! By the third one, the door just boom. Just he knows exploded. he was in the, he was in ESU. How many? Oh, for three years you were in ESU. Yeah. Which one? Two truck. Out of the two six, right next. Yeah, that I used to work in the two six. Oh yeah, I was in the squad up there. Oh okay. Did yeah. you ever see? Did you ever see like I was like a ghost? You ever see an empty suit moving around? <laughs> <laughs> well, when I worked, when I worked there, FIAU was upstairs. That's right. Yeah. Well, there was a, there was an an infamous captain that everyone fucking hated. I can't remember his name now. Was it Francis? Uh, Francis is a familiar name, but I don't. There was some scummer from FIAU, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I think you're right. I think I think you're right with that name. You hear the guy's name, and he was like a 35 year captain in FIAU. You, you must have been good at his, his job, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where do you work, sir? I've been a captain for 35 years. I'm an FIAU. This <laughs> be a hell of an investigator. Man, imagine fucking having no Resnick as the chief of IAB or now he's the commissioner, he's got to be like fucking, imagine seeing him on an investigation if you were a cop. I'd be scared of the guy. Was it? I'd be scared of the guy. <laughs> yeah. He's an, he's an intimidating He was guy. an intimidating fuck when you worked for him, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I loved, I loved him though. 
I, I have friends that, that, you know, don't like him. For some reason, him and I got along okay, and I learned a lot from that guy. I did too. I did too. Were you a Marine? No. Oh, because he was a Marine. Maybe I thought that maybe that was the... Uh... I, used no, to have, I... I used to have to set up his crime scene because I used to work in the training unit. And, um, you know, it, it came with a diagram. And you didn't want to fuck this thing up, man. <laughs> I was like, it was like, you know, the dummy goes here, two cigarette butts go over here. There's a, you know, and it, you know, it was like, uh, it was basically like a plan and you just put everything in the right spot. Then you check it again. Then you call your partner over. So you make sure everything's in the right spot. He said one of the funniest things he goes with crime scene tape. He goes, you want it to be about 24 inches high. He goes, because there's a lot of fat fucks on this job. He goes, they can't lift their leg over it, and they can't go under it. So that's the perfect height. <laughs> I thought that was but when, he, when he would say that, he wasn't saying it to be funny, but it just was hilarious. Yeah, it was hilarious. He couldn't say a sentence without saying fuck either. <laughs> yeah. Right? You take the fucking case ball, and you tell that motherfucker who didn't do the five, right? Yeah. Oh, man. You know what I, 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 took, I took from him, and the detectives fucking hated it. I would write on the five. Oh, did they hate that shit, you know? Oh. I mean, only to the most egregious, shittiest case. Yeah. The laziest fuck. I'd be like, do this, do that, and do this. That's why they call it investigation. And the guy would be so pissed. But <laughs> you're trying to take a shortcut on a uh, domestic violence case. You have to do this, 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 and this. You know what I mean? Or else I can go to prison. <laughs> I didn't realize you were such a prick, Bill. <laughs> Not for, no, just... For the, for the good guys, I'd put a yellow sticky to the dicks. You didn't hear nothing yet. Tell them the story about when you parked down in one PP. <laughs> well, you never did that, George. What part? Oh, be a prick? No, right on a five. <laughs> yeah, I only did it to one guy in the 3-3. Three, three. Uh-huh. Henry, Henry Primus. I know who he is, yeah. Yeah. He's a Spanish guy, right? Yeah. I don't know if he's Spanish or whatever. I, and I like the guy, but he just, he would just fuck up fives like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> and uh, it just got to the point where you just got so, you know, just like up to here and just like, just right on it and hand it back to him. <laughs> I used to hate when you'd have a guy with like 60 or 70 cases in the hole. And you'd be yeah. like, you're staying in today. You're not leaving that fucking desk. You're closing yeah. fucking desk. You know, because you were getting your balls busted because... So-and-so has 70 open cases, right? Yeah. And every time he got called down to Comstat, it was that guy that had an open case. And right, then, right, right. And they pulled his case, and you're like, how the fuck did they even know? I remember yeah. I had two guys like that in the 2-4, and Resnick came in and pulled them in the fucking, both of them in the office. They came out fucking white. He was like, you incompetent motherfucker. He, like, cursed them up and down. I was like, whoa. They came out like, they were typing for about a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can you can have a million Resnick stories. There's no shortage of those. Well, you know what I used to love, Judge, when you went to Comstat, you would tell the guys, "Look, you got fucked for this, this, and that." And they'd be like, "I would have told those mother." Right? Didn't you have a detective say that to you? Yeah. I tell them, "Fuck you!" I ain't... Oh, really? Come on! And then you bring them to the meeting, and they're like, "Oh shit! I had no idea." You know? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, I used to bring some guys up to those meetings, and I said, "You watch how this is." Yeah, you know, it was, it was almost like the Christians and the lions. <laughs> and yeah, 
and you it, it became us versus them. You know, anybody that wasn't on that dais was us. And people, you know, they got to the point where we were pretty protective of one another. Yeah. You know, and when no, I used to work in the training unit, and for some reason, they want us to go. And we'd go and we'd sit there like uh, we wouldn't sit in the audience. We would sit in another room. It was even better than because you could watch the whole thing. And they wanted us to take notes for some reason. They never asked us for notes, but uh, and you just watch it. It's unfo- It's bad. It was bad. I, I felt. I always felt bad. It sometimes got vicious, man. Yeah. It get vicious. And you, you know what it is? Is it, it was usually they were going after somebody because there was something else besides the yeah, right. And you twenty-two just- years ago, this guy <laughs> yeah. gave me a bad coffee when I told sent them out for coffee. Yeah, that's kind of what it comes down to. The, uh, uh, I can remember going down there, and what I used to feel like, it was almost like the Johnny Carson show. And uh, the precinct CEO is Ed McMahon. He introduces the case, and then it's up to you. Right, right, right. <clears throat> you know who tried that shit? Remember that uh, she became a chief? She was the CEO of the 2-8. And she never answered shit. She said, I'd like to introduce my spot commander. I'd like to introduce my ripside. And fucking one time animal said, no, you talk about it. You're the precinct CEO. You talk. And she was like, whoa, you know? <laughs> yeah, Robbie, Robbie. She was like Ed McMahon. She was just saying, I'd like to introduce my spot yeah. commander, you know? Yeah. My special ops. <laughs> my community <laughs> affairs guy, you know? <laughs> there were certain people that could get away with that. Well, she did get away with it for years, and then finally, yeah. I called her on it. She was like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. yeah, Stevens was her name, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember. Oh, I had this fucking story that was funny as shit. Oh yeah, one day, Louis Caniglia is the two-three squad commander. He gets a call from Morris's his bucket. You know, his little his little bucket that gets the information. <laughs> And he, Norris's bucket wants to ask him like 10 questions. And Caniglia is like, listen, I'm too busy. Call back later. Hangs up on him, right? <clears throat> so Caniglia goes home. On the 4 to 12, I come in. The same bucket calls me and says, I'm, you know, I'm um, Detective Bucket from Chief, from the uh, Deputy Commissioner Norris's office. I need to have these questions. I said, listen, I'm too busy. So I blow him off, right? <laughs> so we have constant the next day. Fucking Norris has smoke coming out of his head. He want he wants Caniglia and I so bad. He wants to kill us. So Cutter, remember the inspector, oh, yeah, yeah. inspector Cutter comes up to us and goes, you guys are fucked. He goes, <laughs> he's going to sodomize you guys, right? So we're like, what? They go, you, Caniglia, you blew off his bucket and, and you blew him off in the afternoon. He wants to kill you fucking guys. So Cutter pulled him on the side and said, listen, he goes, you can beat them up. He goes, but they solved six shootings and two homicides during this Comstat period. He goes, do you really want to kill them? And Norris was like, ah, okay, no, I won't, but you tell him if my fucking ever calls again, they better not hang up on him. You know? <laughs> if my fucking ever calls him again. First, my worst Comstat meeting was with Norris. Well, tell us about it. Oh, um, it. Jerry Kane, I was when I had that transit squad, and Jerry Kane was with me as a sergeant. And I go down to this meeting, and Freddie Sachs, who I love. I love Freddie Sachs, too. Uh, you know, Freddie Sachs, just to fast forward, he became a very successful private investigator. And what he focused on 
was um, people that were in uh, apartments that they didn't belong in. You know what I mean? Like rent-controlled apartments that people were. Oh, yeah. okay. He worked for the building owners, and he he built a huge business on that. I don't know if he's still doing it. And oh, Fred, Freddie's got to be in his seventies now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I loved Freddie. He did very well. Yeah. Oh yeah, Freddie fucked me good on this one. Did he really? I, he he used to do that old IAD thing. Hey, don't make waves. Oh yeah. Don't make yeah. waves. Yeah. He uh. We get notified for a transit-only ComStat meeting, and when you go down as a, as a transit squad commander, you're at the at the podium for the entire meeting. Every district that gets up, you have a squad commander for it. So Freddie comes over, and he had major crimes at the time, and transit fell under that for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah. But uh, Freddie comes over and goes, "Hey, how are you prepping for the ComStat meeting?" I said, "Freddie, I take every case." And I write a story on the back of the whatever. They have 67s and we had 61s. So I said, I would write a story on the back. He goes, well, what kind of story are you writing? So I said, Freddie, I make it up as I go along. It doesn't really matter. It's, it's a robbery or a grand larceny. Nobody can ID. So I come up with a different story for each one. Cannot ID, does not want to be bothered, uncooperative. Yeah. He, and he's asking me, where are you getting this information from? I said, out of my head. I said, Freddie, it doesn't fucking matter. There is nothing. It's a B-15. It never goes anywhere. Uh, so he says, no, what you really need to concentrate is on percentages of what crime has happened at what particular location. So I said, you know, Freddie, I go to these transit meetings and they really want to know about the cases. Tell us about the robbery. Tell us why they can't ID. You know, do you have any similarities, all this stuff? So he says, no, no, you got to concentrate on this stuff. So I go down there. They don't ask any questions about percentages and this. They want a story for every single one of them. I don't have a fucking story. I have nothing at this point. <laughs> no notes. I'm starting to get the shit kicked out of me left and right. The questions are getting to the point where I refuse to even answer the questions. They're asking a question. And I, it gets to the point, I blade my target. I won't even look at the podium. I look <laughs> over to the side. And then when they ask a question, I go, I don't have that information. They ask another question. I'll have to get back to you on that. I got to the point, I refuse to answer any questions. Jerry Kane is standing behind me and he goes, oh, let me step up and answer this. And I grab him by the arm and I said, Jerry, they're just going to beat the shit out of one of us and it will just be me. You don't need to take the beating. So you get a break, you know, midway through the meeting. So Freddie decides he's going to play peacemaker. So as we're walking, you know, they had that coffee thing outside. Yeah, yeah. Walking either out or in and Norris is coming through and I'm with Sachs and, uh, Freddie decides to introduce us. He goes, oh, yeah, because they knew each other from the 17th. They worked there together. Hey, uh, you know, Eddie, this is uh, George Medic. And so he's just giving me that, that Norris look. Yeah, I know. I've been talking to him for the last hour, and he doesn't know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> he goes, ah, oh, you know, let's do this. Let's shake hands. I don't take my hands out of my, my pocket. And Norris just looks, and he goes, we're going to revisit those issues when we get back in there. So I just got to go, bring it on. Yeah, yeah. Brought it on and it got nasty. He got to the point, Dunn was the uh, chief of the department at the time and he stopped the meeting. He goes, hey, we're not going anymore with this. But it was still, it was a, it was a hot mic moment. Yeah. He stops the moment. So I go to somebody, I go, fuck these people, fuck this Comstat. And the whole place heard it. Whoa. 
Yeah, it just it, it didn't go well. I'm surprised you weren't in Staten Island at the one two two. Yeah. Oh, I you know I had to go up to see Ali after that. Yeah. And he got up there, and I'm thinking to myself, this is my ticket out because I realized you know being in the detective bureau as a lieutenant sucked. Yeah. It was a time where it was the best job in the world. But, you know, I get there and it's kind of a shitty job. And I figured he was going to throw me out. And I go, yeah, I know. I, I kind of screwed up, Chief. So wherever you want to put me is fine. Yeah. Oh, no. You're staying. Yeah. You're staying. Your punishment is your stay. <laughs> yeah. That's so true, yeah. man. Well, you know, so, I've, seen, I've seen some cops that meetings that it actually got so uncomfortable for the audience because they were yeah. beating the shit out of the guy so badly yeah. with the mic that it was like, I, I, it wasn't right. You know what I mean? It just wasn't right. Yeah, I saw some of those, and it just... It, it was it, ugly. It was ugly, you know? Yeah. But I wasn't... There was a guy... Remember the guy? His name is Vince Montgomery. He was in the two uh, five. Light-skinned black guy. Really nice guy. He must have fucking did something to Adam Mullen years ago. Adam Mullen fucking just lit him up. Like, you know... Yeah. I, I, the guy almost had tears running down his face when he sat down. And he did it to him like two comps that meetings in a row, and he got out of the bureau after that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, there were some meetings that were really ugly, and there were some meetings where, you know, you could see the guy getting the shit kicked out of him just because things were a mess. But there were, there were some personal vendettas that were carried. Were you, at, were you at the one where Justin Peters wasn't having it? No. Oh, no. You heard about that one. They, yeah. uh, they were trying to beat him up about the scores homicide. Yeah. And Norris was the inquisitor, and Peters had one time been Norris's boss. So here's the, the student questioning the master, you know? And <clears throat> Peters just said, I don't know, you, you know that story of the scores. There was the, the Dodge brothers that killed the bouncer. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then they fled the country or whatever. Anyway, it became a huge thing. The feds were involved. And, uh, uh, they wanted to know some inside information at the mic. And, and Peter says, I'm not comfortable saying that in this venue. And they said, oh, we're all friends. He goes, no, we're not. He goes, there's reporters. <laughs> he goes, there's reporters here and there's some rats in this room. And then you could hear a pin drop once he said that, you know. And after that meeting, Safer ordered uh, uh, the chief of these to transfer Peter's. Oh, wow. And then he retired. He was like, I'm not fucking. Because they were like, they stretch him to another command. They go, oh, you're up for Comstat. He goes, I'm never going to Comstat again. Uh, so you wouldn't go. And, and it's even worse when you're in a place that you don't like. Now, when I went to the Bureau, on paper, I was transferred to the 10th squad. And when I got there, Joe D'Amico had Manhattan South. And Joe and I go back. He was a lieutenant in the 4-3, and I was a sergeant there. And... Uh, and you know how Joe talks. He would go like this. He goes, hey, I got good news and I got some bad news. <laughs> That's the Italian uh, thing. I got some good news and I got some bad news. Yeah. So I go, well, well, what is it? You're not going to the 10th. So I go, okay, is that the good news or the bad news? He goes, well, it depends on how you want to take this. You're going to be the administrative lieutenant. I said, oh, that's, hey, you know, that's really not me. I'm not an inside guy. I'll yeah. fuck paper up. And he goes, look, just do it. The chief is a really good guy. You work for him for a few months. They had an administrative sergeant who got promoted to lieutenant. They wanted him back. So they, they put me into the spot. 
and hold it and he'd come back. So I did. Well, that, that was Chief Farrell. He was a good guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, and Farrell was, Farrell was a funny guy. He was, he was a good guy, but, uh, so I'm in this thing and, you know, it, it, it sucked. It was a lot of, it was paperwork, but you know, you, you do what you gotta do. Right. And, uh, so we're coming near the end of it. This guy gets transferred back. So I go into Farrell immediately so I can leave now. He goes, oh, no, no, you got to get Greg up to speed. You know, things, things have changed. <laughs> I, I said, you know, it's only been three months. Nothing's changed. The same people here, the same paperwork. <laughs> Just take your time. And I realized he was, the guy was looking out for me. And, uh, and finally, I, I, like a week goes by and I go, you know, I can't do this. I go, I invite him to lunch. And uh, so did you ever see Farrell? Farrell would sit there at his desk. Like, he looks like a priest, right? Yeah. So you go. <laughs> Oh, you're inviting me. So that means you're paying. So I go, yeah. He goes, well, where are we going? I go, we're going over to Peter's. You know, it was right. It was a Peter's. What was it? Oh, Pete's Tavern. Pete's Tavern. Yeah. I go, we're going to Pete's. So he goes, oh, so Peter's paying. So uh, he goes, let's bring Greg with us. So I'm like, yeah, all right. <laughs> Third wheel. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to tell him that I want out. You know, send me someplace, any place. So, uh, we get to lunch and he goes, I've decided what I'm going to do with you. So I said, oh, okay. He goes, I'm going to send you to the Manhattan North Homicide Squad. <laughs> so I look at him, I go, I go, no, I go, that's a mistake. She goes, tell me that I'm making a mistake. I said, well, it's not good for me. I said, you're the chief. You could stir up shit all you want. <laughs> I don't want to be the spoon. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I go, you know, there are a lot of people here with a lot of experience. I get parachuted into a spot like that. That's going to be a tough job to do. Oh, he was serious? He was going to put you there? Yeah, yeah. Who and was there at the time? I don't think anybody was there. Oh, it was an open spot. Yeah, but still, it didn't matter. So I, he goes, all right, so I won't put you there. He goes, do what you want. So, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I assigned myself to major crimes and I was a liaison with private security. So I would go meet, remember Steve Davis? Yes. And uh, I would go- He was like, he was Mike Sheen's best friend, I think. Yeah, so at the time he was in private security. So I would go hook up with him because he knew yeah. all the things. He wanted somebody in the detective bureau that could be like a liaison with different squads. And I would go have lunch with him you know, a couple of days a week. Yeah. It was a great job. And one day, uh, Farrell calls me up and he says, I got some bad news for you. And you're now the transit squad commander. Oh, shit. I go, I go, how did that happen? He goes, well, there was a sergeant there and he goes down to a Comstat meeting. He has no answers. This guy was the biggest cunt I've ever met in my life. This guy's name is Kevin O'Sullivan. You, I don't know if you know Kevin. No, no I don't know him, no. So uh, he goes down to a meeting. Uh, he didn't have any answers. So he asks, well, who's the lieutenant? He says, well, there is, you know, Paul O'Connor is my lieutenant. Paul O'Connor says, hey, I got the robbery squad. Administratively, they fall under me, but I don't supervise them. So, and then Kevin goes, well, you know, there's been a lieutenant down there the past uh, few weeks. Farrell had me going down there doing some type of paperwork stuff. So Adamon goes, that's your new CEO. And I got transferred based on this guy giving me up for being in there doing paperwork. What a dick. What a oh, dick. 
Um, he, we had, you know, Halloween would be like a gang initiation. And he goes, we had two slashings in the same night. So uh, one of them was in Midtown North and the other one was up in the three, four. So I said, hey, look, I said, you know, you take one, I take one. He goes, okay, I'll take the one in the, in the Midtown North. I go, no. I said, I'm going to take that one. And uh, <laughs> oh, I don't hear for him for hours. He's gone. You know, it's the time we had beavers. But him finally comes in walking with a bag of lunch. I said, hey, dude. I said, you know, this is Manhattan. This is the subway. Uh, you know, the wheel is calling. They want up updates on this stabbing. And he, he has his lunch. I go, where the fuck were you? Oh, uh, hey, can I talk to you in the locker room? So uh, I said, okay. I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to look like a dick here because he had some personal issue. And I don't, you know, if you got a personal issue, I'm not going to beat you up over that. And we get in there and he goes, you know, I don't really like the way you talk to me in front of the guys. So I go, I go hey, Kevin, how about this? How about I bounce you off every fucking wall in this place? How about that instead of talk? Kevin ratted me out. I had to go down and see. I think Taylor was the CEO by this time. Yeah. This was the time where Farrell left, he went down and became the XO of, uh, of uh, the Detective Bureau. Oh, it just got ugly. You know, for some reason, that reminded me of this story where after uh, Kenny Gervin was shot up in 3 2, the detectives came from every precinct in the city. And I'm giving out the assignments, you know. So my head's buried in this fucking log. And I'm just here, take this. You go here. So I look up and I see this fucking detective, you know, all fucking dressed nice. And I said, detective, you're going to go to blah, blah, blah address in the Bronx to do that. And he looks at me and goes, I can't go to the Bronx. He goes, I, I work in the 17th. <laughs> he was scared shit. I go, you little fucking bitch. I go, you're a fucking detective. I go, you fucking kidding me? He was actually scared shit. Uh, and I said, just go get me a cup of coffee. <laughs> you know, I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Terrified, you know? Uh, yeah, that, that's what this guy was like. And, and I was already pissed off at the guy because he was the reason I, I was in the transit squad. But... Now, let me ask you something. You worked for a while in the 4-6 as a sergeant, too. That must have been a uh, a crazy uh, crazy place, right? It's the hook to get there, Bill. It was a hook, yeah. Yeah, a hook to I get really, out of there. You know, I was in ESU, and I, I'm getting promoted. And uh, I had a friend of mine that, you know, he says, hey, where do you want to go? And at the time, I was getting married, and I was moving up to Rockland County. So I said, look, anywhere in the Bronx. So, so they said, you know, that's a mistake to say that. Yeah. But I tell you, it was it was one of the best experiences ever. The place was a zoo and uh, got quite the education. Oh, shit. That place is ro was rocking, right? Yeah. 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 It was, you know, it was 89. So I think it rocked for a few years prior and a few years after. But uh, And then you did some time in auto crime. How the fuck did you wind up there? Well, from the 4-6, you know, you do your probationary time somewhere. So uh, I went from the 4-6 to the 4-3. And when I was in the 4-3, uh, I got in a little bit of hot water. And uh, I had gotten a complaint when I was in uh, uh, ESU. Uh -huh. I took a while for it to catch up. I ended up going to the trial room. And I lost some time in the trial room. And I was in the 4-3, I, 
at the time when this happened. And then I started getting some force complaints and there was a, uh, a division CO, I think they called it divisions then, right? Or zone or whatever it was. This guy, Maurice Buckley, you know Maurice Buckley? I don't know, no. He was the CO of the division and he calls me into his office and uh, he's reading me the riot act about how do you get force complaints? And he's got this Irish brogue and- uh, You fucking cocksucker. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's basically like that. Uh, he goes, I don't understand how you can get force complaints. You're the, you're the fucking desk sergeant. How do you get complaints? There's one, you, you jumped over the desk and pummeled a man. <laughs> and uh, so I, I leave this meeting and I go back to the precinct and we had a fairly new CO at the time, this guy, Charlie DiRienzo. Oh, IAB guy, right? No, no, no. He, uh, uh, I forget where he worked, but he never worked in IAB. And uh, you just really didn't know how to take the guy. At first, I referred to him as Principal DiRienzo. He was more like a principal and he was a, a cop. Yeah. Uh, and I get back there and at the time, him and I became kind of, you know, friendly, you know, it's, you're working, you know, with the guy and he goes, because hey, that meeting really didn't go too well. He wants me to send you to psych services. He wants them to remove your guns and he's going to, he wants to put you in the, in the court section and he's trying to get you surveyed off the job. I still have a copy of the 49 that this guy wrote should not be in a leadership position over young police officers recommend immediate referral to psych services. Holy shit. Oh yeah, but this, it, it, this, this creature followed me for years. So how did you get that undone? Well, I didn't, well, DiRienzo talked to the guy and says, I'm gonna take care of him. So he puts me in CPOP. So I'm in CPOP and uh, he says, don't get involved in anything. You don't leave the station house, stay inside. And uh, you know, don't get any complaints. Yeah. One day it's snowing out and I had also I had the responsibility of doing the you know visits on the school crossing guards so I go out to do it and yeah and I don't know where these school crossing guards are assigned so I go up to highway safety and there's a cop up there now this is a cop he has no guns he he was charged with a rape and he, he didn't do it and so he's up there unmodified so I said hey you know hey, Jimmy let's you know where these school crossing guards are let's go out I don't want to go out and I said, well, I'll buy you breakfast. Okay, I'll go out. <laughs> so now we go out, and as we're driving around, we're in an unmarked car, and this livery cab in front of us flags us down. And we think he's getting robbed. At the time, they had a lot of livery robberies. The only the guy did was put his window out the window. He made us as cops. Next thing you know, we're pulling this car over. Well, we're, the car pulls over, and we, you know, right behind it. And you only got one gun between two of you. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, as, as we stopped the car, we said, you know, we got a possible pickup of a 30. And uh, as we're getting out of the car. This guy, Jimmy, is getting out. I go, I go, where the fuck are you going? Because you can't go up there by yourself. So we go up to the car and I said, all right, this is what we'll do. We'll open the back doors of the car. I'll hold them at gunpoint. You toss the guy on your side. I'll toss, then I'll toss the guy on my side. Trying to talk to the cab driver, you know, he's, Spanish faster than you know you can understand, and uh, finally the guy in the back seat starts getting real mouthy. The only reason you're bothering me is because I'm black. 
And uh, it's not like, hey, dude, it ain't like that. He probably said something scared this guy. Jimmy tosses his guy. He doesn't have a gun. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, we're fucked. So I take this guy out of the car. I'm going to put him up on the car to toss him. And as he gets out of the car, I see his back leg step back. And I'm like, oh, fuck. And he goes and he had a, a gun on him. He had a 357 in his waist. So now we're wrestling around on the street. And I end up, you know, banging him up pretty good. <laughs> I go into the station house with them. You, did, you should have went to psych services. <laughs> yeah, this, this guy. That was absolutely right. <laughs> he, he, uh, uh, I get into the station house and Deary Enzo's there because now it's at 13. Yeah. He's waiting at the desk. I come walking in. He goes, what are you doing out there? I said, you know, this bullshit where well, you don't want me to get complaints. I said, you know, I was trying to be really, really nice to this guy to the point where I put myself in a position where I was going to get hurt. You know, if I had done things the way I wanted to do them, I would have tossed the guy real quick, but I wanted to be nice. Right. So Enzo, you know, after that, he's like, oh, you know, we got to, he goes, you got to really, you know, calm down. <laughs> you can't do anything. He says, you look like a shit magnet. So after uh, he got transferred to autocrime. And he called up one day and he says, hey, you want to come to autocrime? <laughs> I went to autocrime. And uh, I lasted there maybe about a year. And it really wasn't my type of thing. Yeah. Uh, and I went to narcotics. And, you know, I was close to getting promoted to lieutenant. So I figured if I wanted to stay in OCCB, I had a better chance of doing it in the narcotics. You did pretty good for a guy that was supposed to go to site services and get surveyed on the job. Well, what ends up happening is, is uh, now this, this Buckley haunts me because now I get transferred to narcotics. I'm there, I don't know, two weeks and I get involved in a shooting. And it was in the 2-5. So I go back to the 2-5 and, you know, the SBA delegate comes up and he says, hey, look, everything looks good with this. Uh, but the, uh, uh, there's an inspector downstairs. Oh, yeah. So I go, who is it? I go, who is it? And he goes, oh, it's this guy Buckley. I said, well, fuck him. I ain't going downstairs. And this guy tried to screw me again. Oh, man. And uh, so, so did, I, he, did he GO 15 you? No, no. It was, you know, we had the 48-hour rule. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. And it, it turns out, you know, the, the, perp were, the perp ended up being hit, but we didn't know that at the time. We didn't find that out for another week or two. Yeah. But, uh, so now I, I get out and he goes downstairs and he didn't know who I was. He just wanted to talk to the guy involved in the shooting. So the SBA delegate goes downstairs and he says, you know, uh, the sergeant doesn't want to talk to you. You know, he wants to invoke his 48 hour rule. So he goes, who is this? Everything is fine with this. He goes, oh, it's that fucking Menick. <laughs> the SBA delegate comes back and tells me that. So when I get promoted to Lieutenant, I go to the 2-0 and is in Manhattan North now. Oh shit! I called up there to see him one day, and he's just like things. You know, it was one of those. It was like a ghost that just wouldn't leave you alone. Nothing ever came you around. Anything. You know, I, I. You know, what we got to do, George. We got to get to your, uh, Co your Cody Wyoming police job. That was more interesting than the NYPD. Well, tell us a little about how the fuck did you wind up in Cody Wyoming? Uh. When I retired, I started working for Michael Stapleton Associates. I don't know if you right. know. Who yeah, it's a security company. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean it's it's completely different now. But 
at the time, uh, one of the gigs that they asked me to do was go work for this. Uh, it's like an investment banker They're called Allen and Company. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they do a conference out in Idaho, uh, down in Sun Valley. So I go to work for them and I'm working there. I'm working three jobs. I'm like a Jamaican at this point. And finally I come home one day and I said, let's, let's get out of New York. You know, this is, this sucks. And uh, so we didn't really know where we were going to move. So I just said, I went down the States that don't tax your pension. And Wyoming was the very last one. <laughs> I started there and I started doing a city's comparison. And uh, like Casper was too big. Cheyenne was uh, the capital. And the next one was Cody, Wyoming. And I just happened to be talking about it at the Salon and Company office. And uh, they said, oh, you know, we own a ranch out there. If you really want to go out there, you know, you could stay at the ranch, you know, for, you know, 10 days, two weeks. And uh, so I went out there and Cody, Wyoming is beautiful. So, you know, we moved out there and I had no intentions of working again. And somebody came up to me and says, you know, they got this, they had a grant position for a cop, a meth grant, they called it. So you want to do this? And I said, yeah, okay, I'll give it a shot. And uh, so I applied, I get the job. And and then Inspector Buckley showed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he turned out, he turned out Inspector Buckley showed up with a big cowboy hat and spurs. Not you again. <laughs> Riding on a fucking buffalo. Well, if he had a big cowboy hat on, he would have gotten up to maybe 5'4", five, 5'5". Five, five. But... Uh, uh, yeah, but at the same time, they had the assistant chief position open, so I was testing for that, and I didn't get it. And the chief knew that you know I wasn't going to stay around as uh, as a patrol cop, and it wasn't because of the work; it was just because of the hours. You just every week you changed your shift. Oh shit! And uh, I just didn't want to do it, so I went and became the emergency manager for the county, and I did that for like I don't know eight months, and. Uh, the guy that was the assistant chief, he left. So they opened the position again. I ended up getting it the second time around. But, uh, you know, but I, I when I read, um, you had two really uh, interesting cases there. One was the kidnapping of an 11 year old girl, right? Yeah. And uh, I thought that was really super interesting where she was found deep in the woods, right? By some hunters. Yeah, she ends up, and the town of Cody is, is you know, your typical small town. It's about 10,000 people, uh, but it's nice. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's not a bunch of ranches and horses. It's like a, you know, a neighborhood with regular houses, businesses. And uh, it was, it was some type of school holiday and she was hanging out near the library. There's a library and a recreation center. Uh -huh. And, and some guy does the whole scam. Hey, little girl, I'm looking for my dog. So when he does that, she's she's at the window of the car and he points a gun at her and he makes her get in he, she was in a uh, some type of suv yeah and he takes her and he takes her about 30 miles outside of town and he sexually assaults her but he also hits her in the head with the gun oh man and i tell you this kid was tough though she ends up uh i don't know what happens in the, I don't remember if if anything really happened in the car to the point where I think the guy says, you know what, I'm getting out of here, and he's going to let her out of the car. So he's up on a mountain. He's 17 miles up on a mountain and 30 miles outside of town, but it's a it's a road that's 
used a lot more during hunting season. So as he's on his way down the mountain, he kicks her out of the car. And she's left just wandering with, you know, just regular clothes. She, he doesn't have a, she doesn't have her jacket or anything. And it's pretty cold out. And some hunters are on their way up or down. I forget which. They see her. They stop and pick her up. They call 911. Uh, you know, you kind of put two and two together. This is out in the county. And this was a city incident. And uh, so we go out there and, and she kind of describes where she may have been. Uh, so I go up and I sit on a potential crime scene overnight and I'm up there all by myself. And, you know, before when we were talking, you said I'm an outdoorsman. Yeah. So I'm in this car and I'm a scared. And, uh, <laughs> and I would get out of the car to take a leak and I'd turn the siren on before I got out in case there were bears around. <laughs> and, but on the way down, uh, uh, there was a bunch of us up on the mountain and I said, I'm going to stay here. I said, they mark off the mileage in case I need help. So that's when they told me, all right, you're, you're about 17 miles up. And they're driving back into town and I hear them talking car to car. There were three cars going back. Hey, check out that grizz that's running up the road, you know, grizzly bear. So, uh, and I'm listening to the chatter and I'm like, and the, the grizz just takes off and runs through a fence. And I'm thinking to myself, the Grizzlies are supposed to be up here where I am. How many are waiting for me to get out of the car for a nice <laughs> But, uh, you know, what made the case interesting was it was, a, it was a stranger. This guy had no ties to Cody, had never been in Cody that we knew about. Uh, and when the girl got recovered, you know, she's 11 years old. You're thinking, how good of a witness is she going to be? She really can't describe too much of the car. She describes this guy to a T. Wow. And, uh, but what ends up happening when she got kidnapped, she was in front of this library and the initial patrol cops showed up and they were looking for video. And there was a video camera that reflected off of a window. And that's kind of how we ID'd the type of SUV. So these patrol cops by, you know, following through on a, on a potential lead were the ones that kind of started us rolling to ID this guy. At the same time this kidnapping happens, there was a kidnapping in Colorado where a girl got abducted. I think she got chopped up and it was kind of similarities with ours. So the FBI sent a team up to us to assist us. So they started putting together different videos from town because we kind of had a time frame. So they were looking through videos that could be, and there's only a certain amount of roads and they start pinpointing this green SUV but the video is so blurry, can't tell really what year it is. Uh, didn't know what the plates were, didn't know where the guy was from, just that it was a greenish SUV. The night that I sit up on this mountain, the next morning I'm gonna do like a mirror canvas type thing. Any hunters that I see, I'm gonna ask them if they saw anything. First guy that I stopped happened to be a, a drug cop for the state, a real sharp, sharp guy that I know. His brother is the, uh, the sheriff in Park County. And I him and I go, uh, hey, Daryl, were you up here yesterday? He says, no, but my kids were. I said, you know, if your kids are half as sharp as you, we got a potential witness. And he brought his kids in and his kids said, you know, we saw something that was kind of suspicious. There was this truck that came out of this area kind of fast and was going down the hill. And it turned out to be a greenish SUV. And I said, hey, do you know where the plates were from? Oh, yeah, they were from Montana. Wow. I'm thinking to myself, man, these kids are pretty observant. And I go, oh, that was a pretty good observation. He goes, yeah, well, 
this is Wyoming. They shouldn't be coming down here to hunt. They have enough places up there. <laughs> so we end up, getting, uh, they knew what the color of the plate was. You know, like any other state now, they got a bunch of variations of color schemes. And so we started narrowing down SUVs by that particular color scheme on the plate. Then there were some FBI guys that showed up to help us out. They went and sat at the different gates of Yellowstone Park and they watched all the videos, hours and hours of videos. And they finally ID a car that fits everything to do with this, start putting it together. The guy was up in Bozeman, Montana. And uh, so the local PD ended up grabbing this guy. And we went up there to, uh, to do an interview on the guy. He had already given everything up. So we just went up there basically to do search warrants on the house. And his, he actually lived, his house was in Monta Manhattan, Montana. Wow. It was a couple of miles from uh, Bozeman. Manhattan so, North? The guy North. Life. Yeah, yeah, way north, right? Yeah. What <laughs> was his- uh, Getting life uh, in prison. What, what was his uh, criminal history? Really nothing. He had like a, I think he had like a peeping Tom complaint in that local town. No other criminal history. He was a photographer and he went all over the place. He had very distinctive uh, uh, glasses, eyeglasses, and yeah. that's what the girl described. So when we kind of ID'd this guy, Facebook was available at the time. He had a Facebook page and on the Facebook page, he was wearing the same eyeglasses. Wow. Distinctive. And uh, that sounds like, you know, like almost like a you know, needle in a haystack, but you found Yeah. I tell you, there was, you know, a lot of it, as you know, was, was a lot of hard work. Yeah. Uh, they followed through with every lead possible, but there was a, a lot of luck involved too. And uh, so, you, you know, this guy could have been doing this in other places and they never ID'd anybody or nobody ever came forth. Or, yeah, I would doubt that that was his first time out, you know. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, the guy was prepared. He had, he had shit in his house that indicated he's done this before. Yeah, they never they never linked any other cases up to the guy. Not yet. Mm -hmm. well, yeah, he got that, that was, he got life in prison. Yeah, yeah. And then you had one other case where it was a domestic, where the wife was dead, and you thought. Uh, yeah, we thought she was beat with a uh, uh, a belt. We thought yeah. that they maybe wrapped it around his fist and was punching her, uh, and. We ended up collaring the guy that night, but the next morning we, I decide I'm gonna drive the detective up because we had to go about 90 miles away to get the, uh, uh, the autopsy done. Because in this town, you don't have a, an MLI, you know, medical legal. Right, they have a coroner. Yeah, right? yeah. And the coroner happened to be the, uh, the guy that owned the uh, uh, funeral parlor. Yeah, and he was actually pretty sharp. He had been doing it for a number of years and he kind of knew when something was suspicious. But this one, we kind of all thought that she just got, you know, beat up. Yeah. And uh, it's not till the next day we're up there and the, the ME is washing the body off and you're looking and you're going, oh, fuck. And, uh, and the ME even looks at him and goes, Phillips had screwdriver. Wow. And, uh, so we had to go back to the house, reopen the crime scene and doing the search. And it was, you know, your typical shithole house. They, they were involved in drugs and stuff. And we find, you know, a, a screwdriver and it turns out it, it had his DNA on it. When he was stabbing her, he was so 
you know, violent with the stabs that he ended up cutting a piece of his pinky and it ended up on the knife. Wow. So it was the DNA linking him to that. But the guy that was the, the catching detective for that case was also retired from the NYPD. Oh, yeah. So he was a highway cop, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Sharp guy. Yeah. That's sharp. Wow. We get around. We get around. Yeah, yeah, everywhere. Hey, man, this was, uh, this was great, man. This was, those are some fantastic stories. Yeah, we're, we're, hitting, we're hitting on an hour 10, uh, George, so we usually fold the tent at about this point. Yeah, we got to uh, do, do our Patreon announcement. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I got, I got, a, it's over 500 views right now um, for my Eddie Malia on YouTube. I didn't, I didn't look at the anchor. I don't know how to do that, but yeah, he did fast Eddie Malley, the guy who posed naked in Playgirl back in the day. Oh yeah, yeah, but, yeah. It's like the Carol Shire, the male Carol Shire. Yeah, I saw that she was on a podcast recently. I don't yeah, she probably is. Uh, I um, I remember her from the gym. I used to work out <laughs> in the gym as her, but um. Anyway, so we have this Patreon, and uh, we have a couple of tiers there. And if, if you like the show, what you heard tonight, we have stuff behind the wall. How do you get behind the wall? You got to join one of the tiers. And here's Bill to tell you all about the tiers. The tiers are the lowest level, seven bucks, is called the bucket. <laughs> so if you want to be a bucket, you pay seven bucks. We'll let you in there. The second tier is called Polish My Rack. It's actually my rack. And it costs nine bucks. And the, the premier tier that costs 11 bucks is dipped in butter. And you decide what you want dipped in butter, but everyone knows what it is. And that's yeah. 11 bucks. And that's the premier tier. The elite people, the rich people join the dipped in butter tier. But well, so far we have 30 Patreon customers and we're pushing hard, but you know, a lot of you cops don't like to, you hate a nickel because it ain't a dime, you know? <laughs> income <laughs> well thanks a lot for uh for joining us tonight george you're always welcome back you're a fantastic guest are you in wyoming right now i'm in idaho right now oh nice you got that's beautiful man yeah oh i travel around a bit yeah good for you you don't work anymore right yeah i said the working man is a sucker you know that <laughs> yeah that's me i haven't worked in three years well wow. good I'm for in you arizona now so God bless you, man. Stay healthy, my friend. Yeah, keep that hair, Mark. Looks good. That's right, man. We're working on it. We're working yeah, on it. Yeah. <laughs> he was able to do 20 years without posing nude or something like that where you'd lose your job, you know? Yeah, he never wore his hat either, did he? <laughs> uh, never. The hat used to go right on top of my gun. <laughs> well, you know what? Actually, and I'm not even kidding right now. I, I wore the hat. You know why? Because I always figured the girls like the whole uniform. They want to see the whole thing, the hat. It's all. It's all the whole thing. So that that was my secret. The blue magnet. Guys used to like to throw their hair off because they still had their hair, but I wore the hat anyway. I got a split. Um, you got a split. We all got a split. God bless you. All the best to you. Well, and uh, tune in. Tough. This has been retired Lieutenant George Menig. I'm Bill. Thank Cannon, you, George. My partner, Mark Demay. Yeah, thank, thank you, guys. Much, George. Great job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.